0: Where are you from?
1: These hordes of Asian people. And then all of a sudden, when I'm about to, like, wreak an epiphany... Hey everyone, you're listening to What's the Bubble Tea podcast. I'm your co-host, Hilary Valenzuela.
2: And my name is Philippe Tao, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's What's the Bubble Tea You can follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook. And we would really appreciate it if you guys also left reviews on iTunes. So, this week's bubble tea. I came across this really cool Facebook event. If you're in the Chicago area, there's this place called the Axis Lab up in Uptown. It's right underneath the Argyle train station. And next weekend from April 27th through April 29th from 1 to 4 p.m., uh, Northwestern Graduate Program is actually having their Northwestern Graduate Performance Festival, and it's a three-day event where they have graduate students putting together a collaborative space and art installation, and there's one in particular that really caught my attention. It's called J, which translates to the word home in Hmong, and two artists, one's name is Guomai Yang and Magnolia Yang are both putting together this installation which explores and deconstructs and reimagines the Hmong home, what is home for stateless Hmong women positioned in domestic patriarchy. And it's currently in its beginning stages of research. And so um, I think they're putting it on at the Access Lab next week and just to kind of get a feel for it. But I thought that was really cool. And I actually went to a preview of it the other day, and it was amazing. So if you're in the area, you should definitely come through.
1: Yeah, who knows you might run into us mm-hmm. we're gonna try we'll be to there go. we'll be there yeah
2: you can just come all three days and hope to find <laughs> us there one
1: day so today we have a special guest hi tommy hey how's it going we're so glad to have you thank you i'm excited to be here can you tell us a little bit about yourself of
0: course um my name is tommy Um, A lot of people know me more so as Lo Tayan, which is how I met Hillary and Philippe. Um, I performed in the Bad Betty show, which was the Asian American Pacific Islander American Heritage Show. Um, There's not a lot of that in the drag community in Chicago, so it was really great to see both of you there. Um, And I didn't realize y'all were there until (laughs) afterwards, because I had been listening to the podcast beforehand, and it wasn't until Instagram that I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) y'all were in the (laughs) audience. Because we posted our story, right? You did, you yeah. did, and I was like, oh, you saw me, and I didn't see you, so uh, we connected then, and now I'm here, and I'm excited.
2: Mm-hmm. We've just been, like, Instagram friends since then, because I saw you again at um, Palooza.
0: Yes, yes. And you didn't know I was there, but you no. saw my story as well,
2: yeah. <laughs> so you guys are also in Chicago, definitely come to uh, the performance in Boys Town. When do you usually perform?
0: Um, you know, it's I'll, whenever whatever. I can get a gig, so it's pretty cool. But mm-hmm. I do have some stuff coming up, and I can pop that later.
2: Very cool. All
1: right, so today we're going to be talking about expectations or expectations, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, and I just like to think of this, think about this um, in a way of like merging the cultures that we exist in. So like American culture and Asian culture, and how like we've had to navigate that our whole entire lives, as second-generation Asians and Americans, basically. So I'm Filipino-American, if y'all didn't already know. (laughs) Um, And so a really big stereotype for Filipinos and especially Filipino-Americans, and also even Filipinos abroad, just, like, around the globe, um, is that we are expected to be nurses or that we are nurses. And I'm sure that, like, if you've ever been in a (laughs) hospital, you have been, like... like, uh, treated (laughs) by Mm -hmm. a Filipino nurse, probably. Um, And there's just a huge history behind that. Um, So when we were U.S. territory, um, the U.S. opened a bunch of nursing schools in the Philippines for the purpose of educating Filipino nurses to bring them over to the U.S. um, as, like, basically labor exports. Mm -hmm. And so that's just, like, been a continued legacy throughout the Philippines, like... Um, in the Immigration Act of 1965, that's when they brought over a lot of like medical professionals from Asia, and specifically the Philippines as well. Um, and that's why that's a big reason why also Asian Americans and Filipino Americans have higher income levels because of the, the Act of 1965 that brought over a bunch of medical professionals. And so still in the Philippines, there's a lot of, a lot of pe- like I have a lot of cousins who are in nursing school, mm-hmm. and even here, like my own mother is a nurse, my brother is a nurse, um, and it was expected of me mm-hmm. to go into nursing when I entered college. And like I had a lot of conversations with my parents about when I started college, like oh, like you're gonna be a nurse, right? Or like my original thing was like I want to be a doctor. I don't want to just be a nurse. <laughs> I want to be a doctor. Um, But then when I decided, like, oh, maybe I don't know if I can do that, or I don't know if I want that, they're like, oh, of course, just go into nursing, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So for my first year of college, I went into music, actually, like, did the opposite. (laughs) Like, the
2: the creative route.
1: I did the creative route, which is also another Filipino stereotype, which I can go into a little bit later.
2: (laughs) They guys are, like, really good at, like, you're all really good at singing, and really good at karaoke. Yeah, Yeah. I mean,
1: it's, like, a really pretty positive stereotype, I would say, (laughs) but, like, (laughs) You Filipinos are like known for like, we do karaoke and stuff. We like to dance and we like to sing and we play like five million instruments, which is a stereotype that I fulfilled and like my siblings and I fulfilled growing up. We all play the piano, I play Mm -hmm. the guitar, the ukulele, I sing, I still sing. (laughs) I mean, I went to school for music for a year (laughs) um, and through that whole entire thing, like my parents just kind of kept trying to convince me like, well, maybe afterward you should go to nursing school, and then um, I ended up switching my major to sociology. And they're like, "Oh, like sociology, public health. You could be nursing." Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> like, trying to like, find a way al- to tell that. back There's to always
1: way to like, always ways to like, <laughs> bring it back to that um, mm-hmm. because it is a really like, there's a huge need for it, honestly, um, but. It was just something that I didn't want for myself, um, not saying that if you're a Filipino and in nursing school, you shouldn't be doing that, because, like, props to you, because nursing school is so hard. I saw my mom go through it. <laughs> she, like, switched careers um, and became a nurse. Um, she wasn't originally a nurse, but she became a nurse about 10 years ago, um, because, it, I mean, there's just such a huge need for it, but... Yeah, that was just a huge expectation that I experienced, um, and honestly, when I talk to other Filipinos and they ask me, like, oh, what are you going to school for, they don't even really, like, ask me, they just kind of assume, assume. they're like, oh yeah, so nursing, right? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> no, that's that's not what I'm doing. Do you doing. feel like,
2: even if you're a Filipino-American, do you think people just go into because it? it seems kind of like what they've known their parents or people before them.
1: Oh, have been yeah, doing. So it's kind of sure. like a
2: family business that you just automatically go into. Yeah,
1: I know a lot of people our age who like are just finishing up nursing school right uh-huh. now. Um so yeah, it's like a really big thing. And like even my brother, he started off college as a music major too <laughs> and then decided to switch, like, oh, because because it's so easy to get a job mm-hmm. in nursing. Like he got a job right out of college and like was able to get his loans paid by the company that wow. um hired him so i'm like wow that's actually not a bad gig <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> honestly even now i'm just like oh, it's like I so do? tempting i'm like should i have done nursing <laughs> but i'm just like you could still <laughs> yeah. i mean i could still that's true but um yeah that's that's like one of the expectations that like kind of follows me around and follows a lot of other filipino people around it's not like anything that is super i don't know it doesn't feel like oh offensive like why would you ask me if i want to go into nursing but it's just like it's just a thing it's just a thing that happens it's a conversation that comes up a lot mm-hmm. um and and i think what's really important to take away from that is just the history like the further history of colonization the reason why so many of us are nurses is because um the role that the relationship between the u.s and the philippines yeah
2: I'm ex- I, I mean i'm glad you explained that history part of it because even i didn't know yeah and I, I mean i i was aware of the stereotype and. I had no idea, like, why why that was. And it is very much, like, rooted in colonization, definitely. Did you have, like, any other experiences with other types of expectations in your culture, or just for you in general?
1: So, Catholicism is really big in the Philippines. It's, like, the major religion, other than, like, Islam, I think. But mm-hmm. um, I grew up Christian which is actually kind of a minority in the Philippines. But um, my dad is actually an ordained minister. So this is something that, like, it was a huge, huge part of my childhood. And I think the expectations that I was um, expected to fulfill were more impacted by the fact that I was, but I grew up Christian instead of really Filipino-American because, like, my parents are, like, very understanding people, and Mm -hmm. they're really awesome. But um, because of, like, Christianity, there were a lot of things that I just couldn't do. Like, I was, like, super sheltered. It was silly things. Like, I wasn't allowed to, like, watch or play Pokemon. Like, I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. Like, it was a big rebellious thing for me in seventh grade where I was like, look, Mom, I'm reading Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was my moment of (laughs) (laughs)
2: rebellion. No, the Pokemon part, because, like, I think in the in for a lot of uh, first generation Hmong Americans, like my cousins and I, grew up with that. And like you would, all the cousins would go to family events or gatherings and bring their deck oh of gosh. Pokemon cards. And I never understood how to play Pokemon because I just played with Barbies from my like, girl cousins. All the boy cousins would just lay all their cards out in the living room and play. So damn, I can't even imagine. Yeah,
1: it kind of like alienated <laughs> me from the rest of the kids who played Pokemon. Did you ever play Pokemon Go? <laughs> No, because I never played it growing up, so I was like, I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: Now's your chance.
1: Now's my chance, I guess. Yeah. But at this point, I'm just like, I feel like it's too late. Um,
2: and even like, now, almost finishing up college and living on your own in Chicago, like, do you still feel expectations from your religion or any aspect of that in your life?
1: You know what? Not really, because I, I already went through a phase of like trying to kind of break away from it. Um, so my first year of college, I went to a Christian college, and it was the college that my both my siblings graduated from, so mm-hmm. it was, like, expected of me to go there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Did you apply to other schools, or was that kind that of... That
1: was it. Because oh, wow. my dad is, was an ordained minister, and he had, like, a lot of ties to that denomination. Like...
2: It was guaranteed. It was were...
1: basically guaranteed. Lots of scholarships are given if you're affiliated with the church, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the most, like, financially fe- feasible as well for us. So I went there for a year. I had a lot of very interesting experiences. <laughs> yeah. Um Uh, it was like a school in the middle of Indiana, um, like in the middle of cornfields. I did not fit in there at all. I found a really solid group of people because I think when you're like already othered, Mm -hmm. like othered people, like find each other within that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, really weird space. Um, so I experienced that for a year and I was like, I need to get away from this. Like I can't stand this anymore. And that was when I decided to come back home and move to Chicago.
2: And how did your family take that?
1: You know, I've always been vocal about how, like, about my beliefs and mm-hmm. about my opinions. Um, so I think, like, they, it wasn't surprising, but I think it was really disappointing for them.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Especially because you, you said your dad has ties to it and your siblings went there as well. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I explained it to them, I'm like, it just wasn't the place for me. Like, I didn't feel my, I could thrive there. Um, I'm really thankful that I have, like, super understanding parents that were, eventually kind of came around and finally supported my decision. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, it it took like, it took me trying to fulfill an expectation and like, and then understanding that like I couldn't do it, Mm -hmm. and then I had to finally leave.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Tommy, did you have like any experience with expectations around education? Going, growing up, or even like going to college, like how was that for you?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, especially from being like uh, first generation Asian uh, American, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my older brothers and my parents grew up in Laos and then came over, mm-hmm. and so having the opportunity to go to college was like expected of you. Mm-hmm. Um, for you to not go to college was even was unheard of. It was just like you're going to college. Did your no three what. older
2: brothers go to college? Here? Yes. Okay. Yes,
0: they ended up going to college also, and. All of my brothers went to the same college, but as the youngest, it was, like, almost expected of me to want to, like, branch off and do my own thing. And mm-hmm. so I went to a completely different school with the pressure of having to go to school for something like nursing or being a doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer or something that's just a money-making thing mm-hmm. um, because we have the opportunity to do so in America now. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't, <laughs> um, as most um, relatively rebellious Asian-Americans <laughs> want to do something different. And so I started going to school um, for education, mm-hmm. um, which was which was still pretty acceptable because, you know, teachers are needed, even if it wasn't the money-making thing. Um, it was still part of, like, education, which is already
2: very much valued.
0: Exactly, exactly. Being, like, a person who teaches people, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's valued enough um, in, in the community or with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, but throughout my time in college, um, I went to a school of like predominantly white folks. Um, and so I feel like I didn't, I had the expectations from those folks to succeed as well. Mm -hmm. Um, being like the token Asian person and things like that, which, um, kind of put too much pressure on me that I kept switching my major so often that I didn't actually finish school so that was most traumatizing for my parents to be like the first child to like not complete college you know yeah which
2: other majors did you switch to oh gosh if you don't like list
0: them Um, well I started for Spanish education Mm -hmm. uh, but I can't speak Spanish so you can't teach that unless you speak it Um, so that's that's the thing Um, and then I switched to sociology education but then realized I didn't want to be a teacher and that moment it was like, when my parents like them, what are you going to school for? Mm. Um, so I explored sociology with women and gender studies. Um, but by the time I w- completed my fourth year, I switched so often that I didn't have enough credits in a certain major to complete school <clears throat> that I just like left and moved back home. Mm. And so it was a lot of pressure. um not necessarily just feel like I failed, but more so that I disappointed my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in Lao culture, I'm, I'm Lao American, um, P.S., um, that it's a lot of um, when parents talk to their friends and stuff like that, they love bragging about their Oh, parents. yeah. You know oh, I Like you mean? show off yeah. your children and their accomplishments. Exactly. Exactly. And so I felt more so that my parents couldn't speak as positively about mm. me or had to try to cover up that I wasn't going to school anymore or that I already finished school and I'm just like saving money, things like that. And so that was the most challenging part.
2: Yeah. Did you have uh, other relatives who would ask you a lot about like how school was going? Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah. Very similarly. Like I should be graduating at the end of this, this year for, for school, but the past few years with depression and like failing so many classes and not on a traditional route to like graduate within four years. So I'm graduating later and I went home like a little over a month ago for a spring break. And all my relatives were asking, oh, like, once your graduation so that we can, like, mm-hmm. plan around it and everything. And I didn't tell them necessarily that I wasn't graduating on time. I just told them, like, made up an excuse. It's one thing to feel like you're not meeting your parents' expectations, but then because Asian families are very collectivist and your relatives are a huge part of your lives, mm-hmm. it's also like you're not meeting the expectations that your relatives had for you. And so I think for me that was hard as well. Um, and at first when I told my parents that I wasn't graduating on time, I think I was very lucky that they were very understanding of that um, because prior to that, my parents were very strict about graduating in four years because there's also the financial aspect of having to fund for more credits after four years. Um, but after, like, I guess, they found out like what I was going through throughout the four years of college, Like they became a lot more understanding. Kind of like what you guys were saying, like, you went in for music, right? Mm -hmm. And you went for, like, um, sociology and teaching. Yeah, so my first year, I went in for film. I was a film student. And I think that's also a creative major that has no job security at all. And so my parents are very weary of that. And I think they kind of hope that I would end up switching my major at some point, which I did.
1: (laughs) Do have an expectation that they want you to go into any sort of career field specifically?
2: Um, I think... They had always said that they wanted a ch- someone to go into, like like you guys were saying, law school or being a doctor or something like mm-hmm. that. But I think because they knew how creative I was and, like, my parents were the ones who would take me to play practice, like, okay. throughout my entire childhood. And they would see, like, all the art shows I had. I think they knew that I wouldn't thrive in, that, in those professions. And so, for me, they kind of... A reason why I think they let me to go to film school f- at first was because they knew that I was a creative person but um it was definitely the job security that made them weary of it and like when I was home a month ago it was for my grandparents birthday party and my uncle was giving a speech and he said that um I guess he had interviewed my grandpa to write this speech, and he said that my grandpa's great dream is to have a grandchild become a doctor. And oh, man, grandchild. so much
1: pressure. <laughs> I know, and
2: he was, like, the first grandchild to become a doctor, I'll, like, sacrifice a cow to, because um, we do that in the Hmong culture. Wow. And this entire speech, like, my uncle said this over and over again, and it came to a point where I, like, turned to my brother, and I'm like, you know, if we played a drinking game, we can, like, just take a shot every time he tells us to become a doctor.
1: Yeah, I think, like, for probably Americans who have been here for generations, it's like I feel like a lot of what they grew up with and what I hear is like, oh, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Um, which, like, you know, my parents are great, and I and I feel like I kind of got that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for a lot of other like Asian families, that is not the case. It's, it's very much like, this is what you need to be doing and this is the track that you need to be on. And I'm really glad that you brought up, Tommy, about like feeling the guilt or the pressure because our parents came here, and so, oh my gosh, they sacrificed so much that we feel the need to like validate their sacrifices um, by going in by doing these things that, um, like entering into these career fields that validate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a creative field might not like oh we came here for you to do this or to uh-huh. like you know, and I, especially for like the both of you growing up. As queer Asians, too, like, Mm -hmm. can you guys talk about that a little bit? Like, with your experience with that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I grew up with four older brothers. um, And so it was a very... And no sisters whatsoever. So it was five boys and my poor mom all by herself. Um, (laughs) And in our, in our like, family style, it was a lot of that masculinity in the house. Um, And with the age gap between me and my brothers, my mom had me with the intention of having a daughter um and so when i came out it was like well close enough (laughs) um and so i think i had always been very feminine um and very open about being very feminine um growing up too that i was getting a lot of comments from even like family friends and stuff like that that my mom would have to talk to me about like things i was doing but at the same time supporting me um there's a lot of pictures of me younger wearing like her Headbands oh and stuff gosh. like that, <laughs> or like wearing like blankets as like skirts and things like mm-hmm. that. So it was kind of encouraged at the same time, but also like almost avoided. Yeah, um, I find my parents most of the time when it when I'm doing something that they don't didn't expect me to do, they kind of just brush it on their rug and don't talk about it. And so when they don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really fascinating that way. Mm-hmm. Um, when my fa- mom found out when I did drag, it was actually really cute, but also, <laughs> I don't know how she feels about it um, because she doesn't talk about it, but mm-hmm. she... um I used to do a lot of vlogging on YouTube, and so I had a couple of videos of me in drag, and she found them, Um, and then I came downstairs as she was on the computer watching them, Um, and then she said to my brother, well, there's my daughter. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of cute, but I don't know if she meant it in a positive way,
2: Um,
0: and it was after I came out already.
2: but she just she doesn't, doesn't talk doesn't, about it. She just doesn't sorry. talk about yeah. it
0: a little bit. She's come to terms with me being gay. I came out in seventh grade, and so I was uh, rather oh, young okay. yeah. um, when I came out. But it wasn't until um sophomore year of college that I came out to my parents like verbally. And so from there she will just make comments here and there about like not having it, not getting married or not having a wife, and then we'll try mm. to twist it into positive ways. And I can like see her um come to terms with it in her head as she's saying these things like oh it's okay that you're not gonna marry a woman because all your brothers are miserable right now like things like that Uh, jokingly but like trying to like make it better for her so that's really fascinating Mm. do you feel
2: like she still has some kind of expectation for you in regards to getting married or like starting a family Or
0: a little bit i think because of all my brother's have gotten married and have families and things like that. She really wants me to thrive as myself. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple weekends ago, I went back home um, just to be with family, and we went to the temple. And a lot of them were asking like where my girlfriend was and oh. and things like that. Um, and so uh, instead of telling everybody I was gay, or instead of telling me <coughs> that, or telling everybody that I didn't have a girlfriend, she kind of just spun it around and said that I'm just working and focusing on. That single life is better anyway And things like that And so it was like a mix of her Like trying to not be embarrassed or ashamed But also supporting me at the same time So it was really fascinating
2: Yeah I mean even like you telling stories about Like growing up and like wearing skirts and stuff like that It sounds like your mom Like she might not have addressed it like head on But it seems like she also didn't discourage you at all In any way
0: Right And I guess I, it wasn't literally until now that I didn't think about how supportive she was, even if she didn't agree with Mm. the lifestyle. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I was still her, her son, Mm -hmm. um, her, I was still her child. And so she still loved me no matter what. So it's kind of cool. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Is it like
1: a big taboo in the Lao community? Like, um, like queerness? Um,
0: I don't know. I don't know anything about being gay in Lao aside from, um, negative connotations. Mm Um, and it's really similar to that of Thailand too, and so the only word I knew about being gay was katoi. Oh
2: my God! Right, I was katui. called that growing up. Right,
1: and is I that just... like a slur? Yeah, oh, yeah. It tra- oh. is it, doesn't
2: it translate to gay or? It's it's weird. It um it because we to don't... us it
0: does, okay. but I think it more so in deeper, it's it's almost like a third gender, not quite transgender, oh, but like.
2: Yeah, because word Katoy. Katoy, yeah, katoi, yeah, because we didn't have in the Hmong language we don't have a word for gay, and uh-huh. that, because um, the Hmong people lived in Laos, we borrowed a lot of uh, words from Laos, and so I was called Katoy growing up, like as a mm-hmm. slur from cousins and like my Australia. grandma. Uh-huh. And Katoy even is borrowed from um,
0: Khmer language. Oh, really? So which is Cambodian? Yeah. Um. So that's really fascinating too, but. When So when I came out to my mom, I used that word, but mm-hmm. to her it meant like, it's almost like a, like a mental health condition. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that you're also like, that you're not either, like you're just a very feminine man mm-hmm. who's like got issues. Because that's like the closest word you have to it. But exactly. It doesn't
2: even mean. Right.
0: And know. so to my mom, she was like, at first was like very shocking. But I really just meant I was gay and that I liked guys. Wow. And then well, yeah. and, and the way that I came out to my mom is like, you know how you always wanted me to like marry a woman, have a wife? Well, I'm not going to <laughs> because I'm Katoy. And then she's like... <laughs>
2: well. Oh my gosh. So. My mom's expectations for me is like, now that she's fully accepted that I'm gay, I was on the phone with her. Uh, a few weeks ago, and she kept saying, "Since you're gay, you need to like you said, tell me like focus on yourself, get a really successful career, and when you are successful enough, you can move home, and you and I can go on like speaking tours to the Moan community, talking about um, what it's like being gay." And and she always like has to reference Anderson Cooper because she's like, "Look at Anderson Cooper and his mom; they have a book together." Um, and so it's really sweet of her. But I think my expectation now is that I need to succeed because of who I am, much more so than my brothers.
1: Tommy, I see a lot of agreement. I from did you. <laughs> agreement,
2: but also that shocked me because um, the part about like going
0: on tour and oh, whatnot. Because yeah, <laughs> um, I anticipated you saying that since you can focus on yourself and get a successful career without having to um, having to support another person when you're older and I get older, I can move in with you. Oh no! <laughs> and oh, see, I thought you were gonna go there, but I don't know. If that's just because my mom's a little older. Mm-hmm. That she's already thinking about who's gonna be her caretaker oh, yeah. when she's older. She's like, since you're not gonna have a family. You, I, I'll just move in with you. Really? And so oh that's what gosh. I was really, I was ready to agree with you and all of a sudden you switch it up on me.
2: <laughs> no. I think my parents know that because um, my mom and dad have always said, once you guys are done with college, you're moving back home or moving to like the, the Twin Cities area so that you guys can like take care of us when we're older. Um, but I've always been very vocal about never moving back home and always mm. living in a big city. So I think she's given up hope. on <laughs> like, my parents ever moving in with me when they're older, um, but yeah, that, that's also another expectation in terms of, like, family roles that we have to play out. Yeah,
1: that's so interesting how we all had that conversation <laughs> with our parents I about think... who's going to take care of them. Okay, I'm glad
2: I'm not the only one.
1: <laughs> like, it, I, maybe that's, like, a collective experience. Cause, I think like, so. Because, like, I've already assumed that, like, maybe it's going to be me. Because, like... Why? Well, my, my siblings are both married and have kids. And, okay. like... It's funny, I just had a conversation with my parents, because, like, I really, really want to go to grad school eventually, because um, it's, like, ex- expected, and, like, what you really need in sociology. Mm-hmm. Um, you, like, you need a PhD, basically, to go on and, like, do bigger things, but I was telling them about, about the grad programs that I want to get into, and they're, like, and I was telling them how long these programs take, like, over 60 years at least, mm-hmm. um, and they were, like, whoa, like, maybe you should, you know, find a man... Get married. They they mentioned marriage, like, no less than five times during this phone call. I was like, well, like, I, don't, I don't know about that.
2: Do, they, does your, do your parents have, like, an age that you have to get married by?
1: They're just like, we want to see our grandchildren from you. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, they already have, like, six grandkids. So I'm like... They got, you're you're covered. You're fine. <laughs> you're gonna be good. Um, but yeah, that's interesting to hear. Like your guys' parents' expectations of like marriage for you and mm-hmm. like me as a woman, you know. Yeah. Like that, you guys just have like an added layer of like, listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what's gonna happen in the way that you want it to. Um, but then yeah, it's it's like it seems like it's a trend and like something that we all kind of are expected to have. Um, we're expected to succeed, and then like we're expected to have a family like pretty early on. Mm-hmm. My brother got married when he was twenty-two, like right out of college. All right. I know, <laughs> like that's me getting married right now. I'm like, oh
2: my gosh, I, I can't do that. that. I forget to make myself dinner sometimes. <laughs>
1: yeah. oh my God. Like, I could never. <laughs> no, yeah, no.
2: It's so funny though, like that we all had experiences early on at this age of our parents talking to us about like us taking care of them when they're older. Yeah. Um, and I think that's. I mean, that shows like how. Important family is right, and mm-hmm. not just our specific cultures, but like in Asian communities as well.
1: Yeah, I don't think like non-immigrant Americans no. have this conversation. <laughs> like my parents
2: have always. T- I think it's a, it's kids. a big taboo in the Hmong culture, at least, to send your send the elderly to nursing homes.
1: Oh, that's like it's my dad. Would, my dad literally said he's like, I would rather die than be put into a home. Because
2: mm-hmm. I think for I'm them,
1: like, I'll take care of you, dad. They see
2: it as like coming. Like, when you take care of your parents when they're older, it's like coming from a place of love. And so if you mm-hmm. can't do that and provide that for them and send them to a nursing home, I think it's seen as the complete opposite. And, like, you're disregarding the elderly or your, your parents. So, but my my mom was telling me that the compromise in my family is that since I'm the one who's going to go live in a big city somewhere, my brothers have to stay home. they got
1: to step in. <laughs>
2: yeah, so hopefully they're happy with that. Do you guys have other expectations, like, being a woman in your family, any expectations with that?
1: You know, the Philippines has always been... Like, before colonization, it was a very, very matriarchal society. Like, all the shamans were... Did I miss saying that word right? Shamans, yeah. <laughs> all the shamans were women. So, wow. like, we had all the power. All the women had the power. They had all the decision-making power. Um, and then they would consult Datus, which were, like, male leaders, but... And uh, um, primarily, women were the leaders in communities. Um, so that's kind of carried on. Um, I grew up in a really matriarchal home, so mm-hmm. like that's something that I'm like super thankful for. Like my dad was always kind of a stay-at-home dad, kind of like freelancing um, and like preaching. Of course, he was an ordained minister, but like that's not like a, a nine to five kind of job. Whereas yeah. my mom had nine to five and was like in charge of all the money. Really, um, and she was really the headstrong one. Mm -hmm. and the family um so yeah for me like I've never felt a pressure pressure as a woman it was really only like probably high school when I found out that like feminism was a thing and that Mm -hmm. like women were oppressed you know because I was like whoa like my whole entire life like I thought women like carried everything on their shoulders because that's what I saw my Mm -hmm. mom do um but I know that's my experience is, like, very much an anomaly, I think, because I feel like I've seen a lot of probably other Filipino households that are pretty patriarchal. Um, there's a lot of patriarchy in the in the Philippines as well. But, yeah, like, as a woman, like, we're still expected to, like, be the um, the caretakers of the home. Mm-hmm. And there's, then there's a whole, like, layer of the domestic work among Filipinos. So I, I talked about nurses and stuff, but also, like, people who aren't able to get the education for nursing, like... Um, One of the Philippines' largest exports is people, Uh like, for labor. And so a lot of our women are exported as domestic workers in, like, Hong Kong, Saudi Arabia. Like, um, the Middle East has a huge um, import of Filipino laborers, um, and also the U.S. And so, like, that role that we've stepped into is, like, so gendered Uh um, that we're, like, nurturing and, like, we can but we're also strong, like, we can, like, um, take all this responsibility. But, yeah, so, like, that gendered experience or that um, that idea of gender has really, like, um, affected just the whole entire country as far as, like, our labor goes Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and, like, the exploitation of it. But me personally, like, not really. Like, I actually am a caretaker. Um, I'm a nanny for a family. I've nannied for two families since I moved to Chicago. Um, so it's, like, a, it's a role that I've stepped into as well just mm-hmm. because I'm, like, this is what I, what I know I'm good at. Like, it was always expected of me. Like, I took care of all my nephews and nieces. Um, like, my first nephew was born when I was 13 years old. And, and you like,
2: just babysat them. Yeah.
1: And I'm basically, like, I consider, the, I consider myself as, like, their second mom because that's how much I took care of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it was expected of me. Like, I think of, from my experience growing up, my obligation has always been to just help out the family. Mm-hmm. Like, taking care of basically everyone, like, helping them out with the family business. Um, it was never a conversation that was like, oh, Hillary, can you please do this? It was always like, this is, you're the youngest in the family. Like, you're the one with the most availability. Like, this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah.
2: That's, no, that's super interesting. Um, and, like, for you, did you, because, Tommy, you came from a household of all guys, except for your mom, did you find that, um, like, in in Lao culture, is it, like similar to Hillary's experience or is it like very patriarchal and because you didn't have any sisters in her family like did you feel like you had a the sons had to step in for those for those roles that might be gendered
0: um not necessarily i find thinking about it and all my lao friends it was really the the moms who were in charge which is really fascinating mm-hmm. um like even though the dads would be the ones who were like making money and stuff like that the moms were the caretakers but also had the stronger voice I suppose so Mm. where the dads were just kind of there to make money Mm. Um, which is really fascinating that the power dynamic wasn't affected by the income um, which is really Mm. cool Um, so like even though we were all boys in the family we were like my mom's sons Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and so like every we always had to ask her for anything if we wanted to get anything buy her you would ask dad but then it would mm-hmm. never happen and <laughs> even in my friends' families and stuff like that too it'd be like the moms in charge and the dads would like serve the moms and stuff like that wow. so it was really fascinating
2: yeah because I, I mean even hearing like both of your experiences I think the Hmong culture is very very patriarchal um, I will say like the, all the Hmong women and girls like definitely are the ones that hold it together because every family event or gathering they're always the ones who are cooking putting it together organizing these parties Um, where the men are just kind of there for, like, carrying out the traditional rituals. Um, But I think because of that, I've noticed, the more I've grown up, the more I've noticed how patriarchal and sexist it is. And so growing up as a kid, I hung out with my girl cousins all the time at family events. We always, like, played Barbies together, and I never hung out with the boys. And I think around, like, 13 or 14, becoming a teenager in middle school, uh, I remember my aunts and my mom telling me that I could no longer hang out with my girl cousins anymore Mm -hmm. um, because they had to go and do, now that they were growing up as well, they had to go do actual work, like helping the aunts cook and do the dishes and all of that. And I think for me, that was really sad because that was like the only socialization I knew. And I had no idea how to socialize with my male cousins at all. Um, But even at this age, it was like, I'm not just hanging out with the boys in my family, but I have to help them. I have to participate in like the traditional monk rituals that the men have to partake in. So that's a huge shift in my life. But I think after that, I've noticed like the gender roles are just so apparent. And as someone who, you know, like I'm studying LGBTQ studies and taking classes in women gender studies. And so every time I go back home from college to go to a family event, it's like I, as a monk male, I'm participating in this patriarchal system where I'm watching my mom and aunts and girl cousins like do all the work while we eat we're the one as among men like we're the ones who eat first and then they eat second or they don't even eat in the room with us um so it's a lot of having to like negotiate my culture with my own personal values and i remember like earlier this year we went to a family thanksgiving dinner and there was this really long table and it was basically all of the men sitting around it to eat and then the ants were just sitting in the kitchen and once we were done eating, they would come take our seats to eat, like whatever was left over on the table.
1: Did you realize that like after your like education in college? Like was it normal for you growing up to see that? Yeah,
2: it was so normal to me. And Mm. so like coming to college and also not being around moan culture all the time, that definitely helped me realize how ingrained this patriarchal society was in my personal life like it was like kind of like you were saying with your experience growing up with your mom led the household like for me this was like all i knew and this was what i considered as normal um so i think and then with my family like having no sisters i think the expectation was always like the sisters of the family would help the mom with like household chores and cooking um but because we didn't have that my mom was really good about making sure she didn't do the work for my brothers and I. And so we grew up doing our laundry, like as kids and cleaning and cooking and everything. And relatives would always compliment us like, your sons are so good at household chores. And it's like, no, this is just what we do.
0: I think hearing what you're saying about traditions and stuff like that makes me think about, because Lao and Hmong traditions are very Very similar. similar, Um, And I think because I related myself so much to the women in the community, (laughs) sorry that was my bubble tea tea. we're drinking it too Um, I think because I associated myself and related so much to the women and the feminine side of my culture that I respected it so much Mm -hmm. that I didn't think about that they were the ones doing all the work which they Mm -hmm. were but I thought I thought about it more so they're doing all the work so they were more important Mm. but I think that's more of a personal thing of how I related to them and I wanted to be a part of that because they seemed like they were just like it was like their time to catch up with each other and it was just Mm, a lot of like gossiping and stuff like that I lived for that oh my god (laughs) Um, and so I think because of that I never thought about how they were doing the work and the men were just kind of sitting there and playing cards and just hanging out
1: oh Um, interesting
0: Because I had so much respect for them.
2: Yeah.
1: I hear a lot about, like, I never really had this experience, because it might be different for Filipinos, but I'm not sure if I just, like, grew up in a weird household. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, I hear a lot of discourse even about how, like, Asian parents will just, like, coddle, like, their sons and, Mm -hmm. like make the women or the daughters, like, do all the work, like...
2: And they grow up much faster.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just mature a lot faster and, like, how, like, the boys, like, don't know how to do their laundry when they get to college mm-hmm. or, like, they don't know how to cook or, you know, like, take care of themselves because, like, they've never been taught to because, like, it's just not part of the culture, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I it, mean, I had... I learned how to do my laundry when I was, like, eight years old. So, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. But also, I watched my brother, like, do... Like, he... Did a lot of the chores as well. So, like, I don't know if that was just my family or if, you know, that's kind of like a universal thing. But yeah. that's really interesting to hear from you guys, like, how that really was a part of your experience. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, we had lots of great conversations today. Thank you so much, Tommy, for coming on. Also, I feel like because you're Filipino and mong we always talk a lot about from our own cultural experiences. Yeah. So, it's really great to get someone else from a different background talking about that, like, hearing your. The similarities between even Lao and Mon culture, but also the differences in it, as well, has been really great. And if yeah, if anyone's in Chicago, be sure to check out Tammy.
0: Yeah, um, Lo Tayan. It's spelled lotion, but pronounced. I thought it, it was right? lotion. I, I am right? So because glad you got it. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's lotion side B. Um, <laughs> no spaces, all one word. And you can see what I'm, what I'm up to.
2: Do you have a Twitter or any other? Social? I do.
0: It's all lotion side b everywhere. I mainstreamed it. It's, it's called branding. <laughs> <laughs> Personal brand. <friends. laughs>
1: yeah. All right, guys. Well, was, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. And then all of a sudden, when I'm about to like reach an epiphany. chong Changbin wanting
0: to.